Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is Thursday, which means guy talk or guys who talk. Power panel is in place. We've got pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Dr. Peter Kapsner. 007 is a maybe. A maybe. And anyone surprised by that? No. Mm. No, There's this is normal. No. Tom Brock, are you yes or no mm-hmm. surprised? No, I'm not surprised. And Peter? It's far more surprising when he actually confirms. <laughs> so yeah, the maybe, the maybe is not stunning. Yeah, he did float it out there that he might make it oh, at some point. Yeah, that's, that's right on brand. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're so glad you're with uh, us today. Let us know what your questions are. We'll take anything you can send our way. Send the text to 877-933-2484. If you like email, you can send it to my email at bill at myfaithradio.com. Bill at myfaithradio.com. Another announcement is two weeks from today, we're going to have God Talk Live. Wow. Um, and for those of you who might be only hearing this for the first time, uh, we are going to be right here at the University of Northwestern in the Mel Johnson Media Center, where the studio is. We're going to be on the main floor. We're going to have a nice, airy, open space to which we're going to broadcast the show live from. It'll be a 90-minute extended version of Guy Talk, and you are invited to come and be part of it. It's uh, bring your own questions. Uh, they will be uh, lots of fun, and it's going to be a 90-minute Guy Talk version and we'll, we'll be taking questions. We'll be getting questions in advance. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've been told there will be cookies and cider, too. I rented Ooh. my tux. Did you? <laughs> and, and I rented a toupee. I'm going to look good then. <laughs> good luck. Yeah. I don't know quite what to say now. Um, but if you want to uh, be a part of that studio uh, live event, Guy Talk, on November 18th, which is two exactly two weeks from today, we do have very limited space, so the way to get in is to text the word EVENT, E-V-E-N-T, no quotation marks, just those letters. Text it to 877-933-2484. We'll send you a link that will allow you to register and be part of that event. Of course, there's no cost. As a matter of fact, we might pay you on the way out <laughs> for, for having come. Won't somebody having, come? A, <laughs> I don't know how desperate we're going to get. But, um, yeah, right before we were sitting in the green room and we were chatting about, uh, you know, just as, you know, Halloween has come and gone and there's always a rash of, of movies that are designed to scare you. And uh, growing up as kids, I think we all had our taste of scary movies and they stick with you, don't they? They do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I remember specifically even trailers for movies that freaked me out. And so those images are not good to have in your head. That, that's my feeling anyway. No. Your thoughts? Scariest movie I've ever seen, I think, was Aliens Part 2. And a week later, I woke up. This is up, Sigourney Weaver one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I, wo- I saw part one, and then I saw part two. Horribly scary. I, and this, I'm an adult at this point, and I, I think about a week later, I woke up in the middle of the night screaming. <laughs> and I thought, I don't need to do this to myself anymore. Yeah. So the blood and gore stuff I stay away from. Oh. Yeah. I've always enjoyed science fiction, but I've never liked horror. 
And I can't tell you why. You know, I don't want to give you some big theological reason that I, these young kid horror just bothered me. There's something too real about it that bothered me. The alien stuff was different. But people cutting each other up or doing yeah. those horrible things. No, no we didn't need to go there's, there. There's something demonic about demon movies. Tom. There are. Yeah, there is. Well said, Tom Brock. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know if you guys have experienced it too, but I, I find a difference uh, between some movies that maybe I'm there's a lot of tension and I experience some some fear or something like that versus some things just seem spiritually really off. Right. Like yes. they, I, they're just yucky to the spirit. I feel like in a spiritual yep. shower at yep. the end of that, and and I do think often about. The idea of let your mind dwell on those things that are right, good, noble, pure. You know what the scripture talks yeah. about? Because that does, I think these things do have a, both a known and an unknown impact on us. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember that when we had kids, I stopped watching, for example, even Law and Order. My, my wife and I used to love watching Law and Order. And we loved the twist at the end. But uh, I almost was getting to a point just with the violence that wasn't necessarily horror in this, in this case. But I was even intrigued about how somebody was going to die. And, and I lost sight of the fact mm-hmm. that these are beautiful image bearers that are being portrayed as being killed on TV. And right. then I'm caught up in this courtroom drama. Yep. Then we had kids and I'm watching a purple dinosaur for the next probably eight to 10 years of my life as Barney's in, in our uh, in our home. And it wasn't until about 10 years later that I watched another episode of Law and Order. And just that pause from not having mm-hmm. watched it for that length of time, I experienced sort of this this horror of my spirit of seeing somebody killed that otherwise I had become kind of yeah. inoculated against that I had been immune to that I, and that I even quite frankly began to sort of look forward to seeing how yeah. somebody would die so I think this stuff hits us in really subtle but really uh, important ways mm-hmm. well, visualization is powerful when you put that in a movie even in a, a trailer it stays in people's minds it's hard to get I rid agree. of yep. and I've been working with some evangelists in India and they're showing the Jesus film the one from clear back in the 70s it's still the most popular, but it's having such an effect on people that are seeing it. I mean, they're, they don't even have screens. They're showing them on the side of buildings, but people see the visual of of, the G, of Jesus, the disciples of uh, rising from the dead. It has brought a lot of people to Christ. We are finally picking it up in Christianity, learning how to put that to work, where the media industry, you know, from back when films started, they know how to scare us. Yeah. You know, we need to give people hope. Well, and I think it's it, it happens so quickly too. Just that the shocking becomes normalized when you when you engage in that way. It's, it starts as shocking. And it's like, well, this is just how the world works. And so pretty soon you get a very deceived view of how the world can and should work, and what's good and what's right. And and I think these things, if if we don't engage in the kind of media you're talking about, Tom, the things that that will bring some life and hope and peace yeah. to the spirit. I just I I think even things like social media, like all of these things, impact us. I, I'm always, and I know I've said this before on air, but I'm so compelled. By what Dallas Willard said when he said, it's not a question of whether we're going to be formed. It's a question by what will we be formed. The idea that our spirit is very malleable and moldable in that we are going to be formed all day long by that with which we engage. And that formation happens. And pretty soon you just assume this is how things are. But you've been formed that way into how things are so often. And I think it just it, it requires some, some reflection to think and about these things. Here's a secular example. When I was 11 years old, the best show on TV was Gilligan's Island. Oh, my gosh, right? Then I grow up, and I see, after years, another episode of Gilligan's Island. It is so dumb. <laughs> and, and I remember I remember Johnny Carson making You're off the, you're John, off the team. No, 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 you got to hear this. No, no, no. Johnny Carson. So, so John, much for the live show for you. Wait a yeah. Johnny Carson says, yeah, they're going to do make a remake of Gilligan's Island. A comedy version. <laughs> but that just shows you, you know, you grow on the Lord and you then see something that you like 10 years ago and, ooh, did I go to that movie? You know? So. Indeed. I love that one episode where they almost got off the island and, <laughs> and Gilligan 
screwed it up. That was <laughs> typical. That was a great episode. Wasn't that about yeah. 45 of them, don't uh, you maybe, think? Maybe, maybe, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Michael just jumped in and said, I suspect that slasher, et cetera, films are an assault on the image of God. I they think are. they absolutely are. Oh, yeah. Absolutely yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. That's really and well any said. kind of paranormal or, or things that involve spiritual forces, I don't think is, I, I, I won't, I won't have anything to do with them. I yeah. don't want to look yeah. at them. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely the rage among the ne- uh, next generation. Are that they? show Supernatural had 16 mm-hmm. seasons associated with it, and I know a lot of young people that were completely addicted to that show, but there's a lot of new shows about werewolves and witchcraft and all of these things. I just think it, ta- it definitely takes some some thinking through. Just because it's entertaining doesn't mean it's good. Yeah, and right. it's, it's interesting to see. Yeah. Can you think of a good suspense movie, though, that you could recommend? Hmm. I mean, for me, I think Rear Window is about as good as it gets. Mm. The Hitchcock with yeah, Jimmy Stewart. I was thinking, I was thinking of, Kelly. and it's got a few scenes that are bad, but... I don't remember the bad no, scenes. No, no, I'm talking about North by Northwest. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. wait until dark. I remember that. Oh, that was, oh my gosh, yeah. We saw, was, he's in the closet. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we got a chance to see that live in New York, my wife and I did, and yeah. it was Quentin Tarantino and uh, Marissa Torme that were playing, the, the actor wow. and actress of that, and it was even in the theater when they turned off all the lights, right, and then the refrigerator door opens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it just, yeah. That's oh, a great scene. Yeah. I'm still getting over Wizard of Oz. Ah, <laughs> the the monkeys. monkeys. The monkeys. Yeah. 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 As a kid, yes. the monkeys were so terrifying. For sure. But as we grow in our faith over decades, obviously there are things that we once believed or would defend or we would uh, be uncertain about that now as you grow in your faith, you're, you go, oh, I can't believe I actually expressed that the way I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was raised in a conservative Lutheran church, but in high school I got kind of liberal. I still went to church, still was in fellowship. I go to the University of Texas for my first year of school. I get in a Bible study. And I start raising questions. Well, you know, uh, if you were raised in China, you'd probably be a Buddhist too. And do you really think God's going to send people to hell? And and I was these people were Church of Christ, which is even more conservative than Baptists, not United Church of Christ, the Church of Christ. And, and Tom, the Bible says there's a hell. There's a hell. And so my first year of college, I reread the New Testament. Every time it mentioned hell, I wrote it down. And my mind started to change. Mm. And now I believe in hell totally. And there is an example of you can be raised in the church and still be off, but the scriptures can, and and fellowship, can correct you. So there you go. Mm. Don't you guys have this experience? Because I feel overwhelmed by scripture in a really good way, where you can read a passage a hundred times, and on the hundred and first time you see something, you, you go, how did I miss that? Or you want well, to reinvestigate or... It's a living document. That's uh, the interesting indeed. thing about it. Because the Lord is speaking through it. And, you know, I read a passage like you, Bill. I've read it many times. And I'll comment on it. And that's well and good. And then I'm in a circumstance. Maybe it's a family issue. Maybe it's a church issue. Maybe it's a health issue. Suddenly that verse just jumps out at me and seems to grab a hold. And so you're right. And that's why we have to stay in the Word and keep going back to it on every other basis. Because it has so much to say. And it's timely. It speaks to us in the moment we need it. Yeah, it happens all the time to me. It's part of why I, I am terrified to teach because you're held accountable for that which you teach, right? And so yeah. a, a fair amount of humility, I think, is in order for people who teach because I can't tell you the number of times I've run across scripture passages that I thought I really had a very good handle on only to find that I was missing something. I think something as simple as just the word life in the Gospel of John, for example, when it's paired with the word everlasting, like in John three 16, you'll have everlasting life. For a lot of years in my life, I would have thought that everlasting life was a synonym for heaven. 
Uh, and, and yet when you just get behind the scenes of the text a little bit, you see that everlasting is sort of this idea of indestructible in life is the Greek word zoe. It simply means the kind of life that God himself enjoys. And so when you lean into Jesus, when you become a follower of Jesus by the Spirit, you begin to get the indestructible kind of life that God himself enjoys. I didn't know any of that until I was about 30, 33 years old. Mm-hmm. Well, right. too, too much of our Christianity understanding of the Bible is what other people have said about it rather right. than us looking at right. it ourselves. We've really got to get into it and look at it. All right, we'll take a short break. Make plans to attend Guy Talk Live. It is going to be November 18th. It'll start at 4 p.m. Text the word EVENT to 877-933-2484. We'd love to see you. We'd love to shake your hand, make eye contact with you, and we would love for you to attend. 877-933-2484. Text the word EVENT. Be right back. Sound. Is a that a new? One. I haven't heard that one. Yeah, I don't think it's like it. Yeah, that's a great bumper all the time. That's a really yeah. good one. Yeah, they've expanded my bumper budget. <laughs> uh, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> and you'll hear that and more at Guy Talk Live coming up November 18th, starting at 4 o'clock p.m. Central Time, right here at the University of Northwestern. So you can uh, t- text the word event to 877 933 2484. All right. So we're talking about the way scripture is a living document of course and it god speaks to us through the holy spirit depending on what season of life we're in and so i was reading this out of hebrews chapter 2 verse 18 it says because he himself suffered when he was tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted Hmm. i think this is really interesting when he, he himself suffered when he was tempted i always i've been thinking about what tempted him? Well, well to, to turn the rocks into bread, jump off the temple, and fall down and worship Satan. I get that. Those were three. Yeah. And they must have been real temptations or uh, he wouldn't have been tempted, you know. And I think, you know, why why was he tempted to jump off the temple? That was right in downtown Jerusalem. Lots of people would have seen it and probably proclaimed a Messiah had he been caught by angels. Mm-hmm. And I never registered that, that that's a maybe, yeah. probably, is behind that temptation. So I, yeah, just... Uh, but he would have been responding positively to Satan if he did that. Right. Which would have been a mistake. That, right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it seems like uh, what's uh, among the common things that Satan tempts with, and especially when you go back to the Garden of Genesis 3, it's the temptation to of the beautiful imagers who really are these lovely creatures of God that he says, um, why don't you take of this fruit of, of good and evil of Tov and Ra in the, in, in the Hebrew and you can become like God yourself. Basically, you can determine your way forward on your own. You can you can untether yourself from God. Uh, and, uh, and my understanding is that even part of why Satan fell was because he was doing the same thing as this sort of creature of beauty, this Lucifer who tried to take the place of God. So when you look at the commonality of Satan's temptation, it's always to invite us to untether ourselves from from God as we kind of do life into the unknown. So I just wonder with Jesus, I mean, it talks about things that he had to learn obedience and that he had to grow in, in some of these ways. And, and the temptation even of the garden was let this cup pass from me, right? That I, I don't, 
I don't know if I have what it takes to walk this out. But then he would say, nevertheless, let your will be done. And so I think there's this this binary question that's being asked of us all day long. Will you try to take the reins yourself moving forward into the future, thus the temptations of, of Matthew that you referenced uh, there, Brock, or will you continue to believe and yield and surrender and give up your life and follow God and trust him for the unknown? I just think that's a, that's a common thing that it seems clear that Jesus was wrestling with at different times in the text. You go a couple chapters ahead in Hebrews, which you just read, Bill, Hebrews four fifteen. for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So whatever temptation you want to talk about, Jesus bumped into it in his life, and he had to face it. And in every one of those, he said, no, I will obey the Father, not give in to the temptation. And I think what's good about that is that when I go to Jesus with my temptations, my sins, I'm not talking to somebody who doesn't understand. He definitely understands, never justifies it, but in the understanding, always has his hand stretched out and says, come on, Tom, Take my hand, we'll get through this, and now I'm going to make you a new person. And for me, that's exciting. Yeah, I think it's it's helpful to think about these things because we understandably and rightfully talk about Jesus as the triumphant Lord who conquered sin and death and, and the tomb was empty and, and that whole piece of, of who Jesus was. And, and that is the heart of the gospel, of course. But I think it's pretty intriguing when you read theology from other parts of the world of faithful followers of Jesus. And, and for example, I know I had to take a class on Asian Christian theology at one point and and when I was reading the Asian Christian theologians, they mostly talked about Jesus in the terms we're talking about now, which is as the suffering brother, as someone who has experienced the sorrow and the loss of life, because in many Asian contexts, they're not dealing with the same levels of prosperity that we are in, in many Western contexts. And so life is a life of suffering and, and difficulty and poverty and turmoil. And there's incredible comfort and solace and and I would say growth and maturity that happens in suffering and, and, and more of a single-mindedness because you're not entrapped by so many of the things of the world. So it's just really interesting to re- read Asian Christian theologians not talk much about Jesus as Lord, uh, and he is clearly Lord, but they talk about him as the suffering brother that's in the trials. And in America, we have a very thin view of suffering right. by contrast. We, we talk about Jesus as Lord, as we should, but we don't necessarily experience the same level of day-to-day suffering. Many people don't. A lot of people in our country clearly do, but there's a lot of, uh, of believers, myself included, that haven't even walked a day in the kind of life that maybe my Asian Christian brothers and sisters have. Well, where this first really speaks to me, when my grandson was killed 18 years ago, mm. At the funeral, I had many, many, many people come up to my wife and I and say, oh, we're so sorry, this is so hard, and, well, I lost my mother and I lost my brother, and you hear these things, and and they were very sincere. What hit me the hardest was another family that came up and said, we lost our grandson at six weeks also. We know the pain you're going through. And there was an instant connection with these people. Mm -hmm. That's what Hebrews is saying. We have the instant connection with Jesus because he doesn't just look at our sin, he has been right there and tempted as we are, but didn't sin and now gives us the way so we don't have to either. Nicely nicely said, Tom Parrish. Thank you for that. All right. In John 2, 24 and 25, it says, But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. question is how can I love Jesus and the church without becoming disillusioned with bad Christian behavior? Well, that verse, I think, is the answer. <laughs> I mean, I, 
I uh, th- that verse teaches even Jesus didn't trust human beings because he knew what was in human beings. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Jeremiah, the human heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And um, I, I mean, I don't trust people ultimately. I don't trust me, you know. So when people say, well, I have trouble trusting people, well, some of that's good. Uh, you don't want to be overly non-trusting of people, but... You know, we're sinners, we're born sinners, and don't trust them. <laughs> I survived all my years of ministry, and a lot of my classmates did not. They didn't make it. They they left, they went to other businesses, they left the ministry. Some of them even left Christianity. What was the hardest is that I expected non-believers to behave badly. I didn't expect believers to behave badly. And it really kind of hit me hard when I first started ringing into this. And it finally dawned on me that, look, love Jesus but have no illusions about people. Mm-hmm. People are people. Mm-hmm. And and the power came where I wasn't carrying their burden any longer that somehow, oh, I've got to get everything straightened out of their life. They really, no, no, no. I give them invitations and opportunities to come to Jesus, to work with him. And if they don't respond to that, that becomes their issue they've got to deal with. Yeah. And it freed me up from a lot of the pain I think a lot of pastors suffer. Yeah, I've had a longstanding friendship with a, a pastor who was part of, he was pastoring a large church, maybe uh, some five, 6,000 people over the years. Uh, and he did it for the better part of 38 years. And as we talked over those years together, uh, so many of them, he would talk often about wanting to finish being filled with faith because he saw so many of his colleagues who had been longstanding in ministry not uh, end the journey uh, outside of becoming cynical and skeptical and doubting. And, and I think some of the numbers were, I'm going to uh, intentionally underestimate, but I think it was more than this. I think it was about 80% of pastors do not finish filled with faith. And and I think when you start looking at those numbers, guys, uh, this is a bigger conversation for a different time, but I think it invites us to maybe reconsider how we're understanding God and the kingdom, how we're understanding what our life together is meant to be, as opposed to just continuing to do the same thing and expect a different result. I've been mm-hmm. talking uh, with many of my young people who are part of the statistics of people leaving the organized church saying God's kingdom is very real. But maybe we need to rethink uh, how we're doing this and what our thoughts are about what life in the kingdom is like, because it's sort of the very definition of insanity to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect a different result when the stats increasingly along these lines. So Jesus and his kingdom is real and beautiful. There is good news. There is hope in the midst of sin and death. There's all of that. I think we have a pretty substantial theological and philosophical reframing coming forward that I hope some people can start getting ahead of that curve that stays anchored to the scripture, but maybe we need to rethink the wineskin we've been living in. And, you know, I, I do think if you lower your expectations of life and of people, your life is better. I mean, I'm thinking of a gal that, a Christian gal that was running this mission group uh, in, in Moscow, I was on a mission trip, and we were on the bus, and this one guy, part of the mission group, was so obnoxious toward her. The bus stopped. I noticed she went over and started crying, and I went over and, you know, kind of tried to console her. And, and then I said, I'm just trying to do the best I can. He's so mean, et cetera. And I, and I said, you know, I started the ministry with a healthy belief in the total depravity of man, and I've never been disappointed. So there you go. I think if you lower your expectations, it helps. Yeah. We'll take a break, but we'll be right back with lots more Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. The power panel today is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Dr. Peter Kapsner. Let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Any question you have, send it over. Be right back.
<laughs> nice music. All right. We're, we're having some kind of fun here, aren't we? Indeed. Yeah. Anyway, I've gotten my hands on a copy of Susie Larson's book called Prepare Him Room. I've had one in my hand. I've opened it. I've looked at it. It's lovely. And we're going to do this wonderful promotion in November where we're going to give away two devotional bundles, which includes two copies of Prepare Him Room and two sets of these really cool, quote, graphic cards for you and a friend. So if you want to get in on that drawing, all you have to do is... Uh, you can sign up at MyFaithRadio.com. So, there you go. All right. Now, during the break, we were we were lively. We were. Yes. There was a lot of now, conversation happening Peter, there. Peter, you said something I was half listening to, which sounded really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, there's stuff i got to do during the break. Right? right. I have to take a sip of water. I have to check my email. It's a lot. I got it's stuff. a lot. Yeah, yeah we usually have the three of us usually pray for you during the break Thank because of that. <laughs> but yes. you were talking about something from Joshua. Yeah, I was at a church this weekend that was celebrating its 75th anniversary, and um, and they, they invited the senior pastor back um, to speak. And it's a sermon I'd heard before, but I think it just really bared uh, remembering again. And he was talking from Joshua 3 about the time when the Israelites were invited to finally enter the promised land after all these wanderings. And when they come to the edge of the promised land, they're greeted by the border, which is the Jordan River. And at the Jordan River, they clearly have to cross it to enter in the promised land. And that sounds kind of mundane or boring, I suppose, when you read the text. But the text has this little phrase that says it was at its flood stage in that moment. And what that meant was that the Jordan River was kind of down in a bit of a chasm. And it would have been somewhere between 16 to 20 feet deep. It would have been rushing water and rapids. And that uh, they were not just going to be able to step in and swim across that. So God's invitation is to step into the waters. But it, the, the text is very clear. It says it wasn't until their foot hit the water that the waters parted and then there was a way created into the promised land. And the pastor is making, I think, the right point from the text at this point, saying that they had to fully commit before they could see the circumstances in front of them. They had to fully yield, fully believe, fully trust. This was not, God, why don't you show me the way? And then I'll think about walking in it. Mm-hmm. It was, God said, you need to step into these waters. And uh, and once they finally fully committed, one of two things was going to happen. Either they were going to drown or God was going to create a way. And and it was just such a beautiful picture of the way our faith journey is meant to be, is that you're supposed to walk within the promises of God in trust and in faithfulness. And just whatever comes is what you trust. But our job is to believe and to trust and to surrender and yield. And it was really lovely, that part of it. But then Parrish added something else to this as part of the conversation. Well, in, I was just reading where it was talking about um, this John was baptizing near Bethany, but was on the far side of the river. Jesus was baptized on the far side of the river because where did Jordan, you know, the Jordan was parted when Joshua came across with the covenant with the people of Israel. Now you got Jesus coming with the new covenant, and he comes to be baptized in the Jordan from the far side. So it was the re-entering of the promised land of a whole new dynamic of this new covenant in Jesus Christ. And it's something I, I still don't think we have a good grasp on today in Christianity, how powerful this new covenant is. And well, you know, you oh, know the, yeah. the, my, ever since... Uh, the last 200 years, when we think about crossing the River Jordan and all the black spirituals, it's all about dying and going to heaven. Yeah. Yeah. And there's an old stanza from an old hymn that goes, When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my, see, uh, f- bid my anxious fears subside, death and death, death of death and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. Mm. And it's just such a great image that one day we're going to have to go through that water, too, of death. 
and land on the other side. Well, and I've heard a lot of people talk about the idea that life uh, can often be a practicing of many deaths all on the way from that yeah. final crossing over where you That's finally yield sure. and trust into that that yep. the, that God will take you through those last waters of death made yep. possible um, by what Jesus did. So in par- just quickly, I think it's interesting what you said too, just about that new covenant power, right? I'm, yep. I'm so mindful when you, when you think about the law that it was written on tablets of stone and then the New Testament talks about, and now that law will be written on hearts of flesh, meaning that from the inside out, will we be transformed and changed? And when we were talking earlier about struggling as a church or, you know, expressions of the church or people that are, that are failing and struggling, I, I think part of the theological reframing that we need to, to really enter into is that we actually can grow in authentic Christ-likeness. We don't just put on Christ-like behaviors while we right. play this game of pretend and fraudulence, that the, the, the purpose of becoming Christ-like is to actually become Christ-like from the inside out. I really become a person of love. I don't just act loving. I, I become a person of love that then as I grow in that love from the inside out as a, as a heart of flesh where the law is being written, then it just, I begin to, to supernaturally but naturally act that way to people around me. And, and when you can sort of rectify that fraudulence, the hypocrisy, when, when you live from the inside out in that way, um, that takes, it's a hard journey for sure yeah. to, to grow in love. Usually it takes suffering and trials and pain and, and sorrow to really to, to grow in some of those ways. But I think one of the, the great resets for the church is to move out of the fraudulence of the outside in Christianity yeah. and move from the inside out Christianity to know what, and what it means to walk in the power of the spirit increasingly in these ways. And, and this, the closer you get to Christ and the more you do what you just said, you grow in Christ, you actually start loving like he does. The, the, the more that happens in your life and the closer you get to Christ, the more you realize how sinful you, you know, are. You know, my, my mentor once said, I, I once asked him, I think he was about 80 years old. I said, dude, do you ever sin anymore? <laughs> and, and he said, and he said, Peter, the, the closer I get to Jesus, the more spots that I see. Oh, and yeah. I just think that's it. But he wasn't scared. He, he knew grace was covering that. Yes. Yeah. And so in that grace, he could walk towards the light mm-hmm. with his shortcomings, with his sinful behaviors, with his sinful whatever, and, and, and trust that God would continue to transform that. It was a beautiful journey that I yep. witnessed. Yep. Sometimes I don't think we really grasp the scriptures. You were talking about, what, 33,000 verses? 33,000 verses, yeah. Verses in the scripture, and maybe you know 1,500. (laughs) I mean, it's overwhelming. But when you think about it, I always have thought, I've come to the conclusion, the book of Hebrews should really be the book between Malachi and Matthew, Mm. because it ushers in the whole new covenant concept. And it says in there that Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice for sin. If you were a Jew in the Old Testament, you had to go to the temple to sacrifice, or the tabernacle. That's how you get your sins forgiven. Jesus now, you don't have to go there. And where does he say the temple of God dwells? It dwells within us. And so we have his presence within us and his shed blood, which is there to always cover our sin when we turn to him. And I think the advantage is beyond comprehension, Mm. but we don't do a good job at really communicating that well in the church. And I see people carry burdens and sins they don't know how to get rid of. Mm -hmm. They only need to turn to the blood of Jesus. And Mm. and I'm going to quote again. This is my favorite quote from Luther that I've never heard until a few weeks ago. Luther said 500 years ago, the more I look at myself, the more I think I can't be saved. The more I look at Christ, the more I think I can't be lost. Mm. Yes. So. It's where you're looking. Yeah. It really, and, and I think it's powerful when you begin to engage in a, in a mysterious, though real relationship with Christ, not just ideas about Christ, but, but Jesus himself, you're engaged mm-hmm. in an actual relationship. I think, you know, Parrish, when you were talking too about Hebrews, that 
the, one of the most profound things that happened on that death on the cross is the veil in the temple was torn in two, right? And that veil mm-hmm. is what always separated people from the presence of God. And suddenly that veil was torn top to bottom and, and the presence of God exploded then at Pentecost among the people that we become the temple, we become the tabernacle of the spirit as the people. And, and so whatever the church needs to look like moving forward, I think it's a recapturing of what it means to live together as believers inhabited and empowered by an actual spirit of God that is now present among us because of the work on the cross. And when you when you walk by the spirit, you do grow from the inside out in these ways. But I think we just haven't really equipped believers, I think, terribly well oftentimes no. with how to walk in that communal way by the spirit. We spend so much time teaching ideas about the faith, and that's important. But what does it mean to have a lived relationship with Jesus where we are transformed and changed day by day from the inside out? One old missionary taught me a very good lesson. He said, Tom, Spend your life pursuing Jesus, and then you'll really love people, not because of what they do or who they are, but because Jesus' love is flowing through you. If you make your Christianity based on the people and not loving Jesus or pursuing him, you'll be disappointed every Sunday. Mm. I had a line yesterday from my guest, Jay Warner Wallace, I'll bring up with you guys, because I brought it up to him. Is his own line, but he said, we have to love the people that hold bad ideas. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That means yeah. you have to love me, Bill. I know. I know. <laughs> Believe me, I know. <laughs> All right, here's a question. Why do we as believers sometimes bounce between believing we live under grace and fearing we live under the law and will be condemned? And it also says we have stopped watching Law and Order as well, by the way, for similar reasons. <laughs> well, you know, if I can put on the pastor hat, I, there, there are three uses of God's law. One is to keep order in society, Romans 13. Another one is to convict us of our sin and show us how we need Christ. And the third one is, once you're saved, it's kind of a guide on how God would have you live. Those three uses of the law, we need till the day we die. I'm always going to need protection of God's government. I'm always going to need to see where my sins are and be convicted by the law. And I'm always going to need to know once I'm forgiven, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? So we're under grace as far as our salvation goes. That doesn't mean that God's law is totally irrelevant because I still need, you know, the big deal when I was in seminaries, they always ask the question at the end of the sermon, did you preach the law and the gospel? Did you convict of sin and bring the forgiveness of sins? Mm -hmm. And if you don't, if you only do the forgiveness of sins, it becomes sloppy agape. If you only do the law, it becomes legalism and you don't want to go to that church. So, yeah. Have you ever gone across the Mackinac Bridge in Michigan? Yeah, I have. It is a high bridge. It is a scary bridge when you go over that. It has guardrails. And for the Christian, those guardrails protect us. Mm -hmm. The law protects us because it simply keeps us within the boundaries of walking with Jesus. When I simply look to the guardrails, though, I'll crash into them every time. And so I want to help Christians understand, quit looking at the law as a way to make yourself right with the Lord. You're right with the Lord when you're in the middle of the path and you're following him. That simply shows you the boundaries when you're getting out of bounds, you need to come back. And they're for, and our, they're for our protection. They're for mm-hmm. our protection. They're there to bring us back to him. What should the guardrails be called? Love on one side or truth on one side, grace on the other? What do you think? I mean, yeah, this seems to be what Jesus was, you know, what yeah. he was filled with, right? He, we, yeah. we beheld the one and only, says the Gospel of John. He was filled with grace and truth at the same time. And, and I do think that 
those passages in Paul where he says, where, where our sin abounds, grace abounds That's all the more. more. And I think this is an incredible invitation to not play the game of pretend, to come into the light with our sin, because when we do, as that sin is abounding, grace abounds. But Paul is also very clear on the other side of it, say, so... Should we keep on sinning so that grace might increase? Well, that's a dumb idea. And so I think you, you have you, know, you have the both and here. And I think the, the, the soft heart of the person who acknowledges their sin is then greeted with grace. But I think the hard heart that says, yeah, well, I'm just going to, I don't really care that much. I think that's where the law maybe comes in on the other side of it says, hang on just a minute here. This is, that's a really, really bad idea to walk in that way. But I think we have to be clear too, to say that the struggle out of a sinful behavior or an addiction or a pattern, that that can take a long time that that yeah. God is often at work in in ways that we don't quite see. I just, I just think of some of the longstanding things that I've had to walk through in my own life from a sinful standpoint. I remember some things early in life and I thought, why is this taking so long? Yeah. I cannot believe that this is still going on. And what I didn't know is that God was doing some deeper work to really yeah. root out that sin that I wasn't prepared for. So the soft heart is always one that stays in humility. And in that soft heart, grace greets the sin, the abounding grace, but the hard heart says, yeah, whatever. That's where the law comes in. And of course, God can do anything in his time, uh, however he wants. But if you walk eight miles into a forest, won't it take you eight miles to walk off? <laughs> I think that's a really good analogy mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. Let me take a little break. It's Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Let me know. We have time for some of your questions. Maybe you've had something you've always wondered about. I've got an interesting question coming up uh, after the break about Noah's Ark and Jonah the Whale. We'll be right back. Talk live, not me. I'll be here, as will Pastor Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Peter Kapsner, and Justin Jeps, and the whole squad will be here November 18th, right here at the Mel Johnson uh, Studio. You can come over and be part of that. Text the word "event" to 877-933-2484. Uh, we will have uh, cider and cookies. I bought the cookies uh, three weeks ago, and I hope they. <laughs> I hope they. I hope, I hope they're on my kitchen table. I hope they stay fresh. I'm pretty sure they will. <laughs> But it'll be great. Love and to see you And this is Northwestern College and Seminary. Uh, you know, it's Northwestern. It's not a seminary. But, right. So there'll be nothing spiking that There'll be nothing punch. spiking, yes. There you go. All right, here's a question. Uh, <laughs> and it starts with, I. this is a bit embarrassing, but are the stories like Noah's Ark, Jonah the Whale, etc., to be taken literally? Yeah, I, I don't think that's embarrassing at all. There's no. been quite a movement within some places of biblical scholarship that would suggest that these are just like metaphors. They didn't actually happen. And, but it, so I think the Jews would have certainly understood these stories as having happened. They were asked to remember these stories and so many like them. But I think on the other side of it, to just take them as, well, these are little interesting fables that are chucked into the text just to, just because these are interesting times God moved, that there's a lot going in these stories theologically. And, and the reason why the Jews included them in the original scriptures was for theological purposes, not necessarily for for biographical or historical purposes. And so just quickly on that, for example, like Noah's Ark, the word for Ark there is the exact same word that's being used of the basket that Moses was sent in when he went into the river. That was the exact mm-hmm. same word used as the Ark of the Covenant. So there's these themes and these the, these theological, there's just the beautiful theologically, uh, theological golden, I guess, gossamer threads to be able to pull in the text is is really fun. So I think, yes, they absolutely happened. 
But yes. think if they would have included everything that ever happened in among the Jews, that the Bible would be you know a thousand, ten thousand volumes. So you have to think of them in theological terms, not necessarily in historical terms, even though they are historical. Well, I challenge people too to think: Would Jesus ever lie to us? Well, no. But Jesus himself said, "Just as Noah spent three days in the belly of the whale, right. so the Son of Man, you know, will spend three days." And I think that's the point. When I look at the New Testament and I see how Jesus handles these things, and I personally am the type, I believe Jesus is the author of the entire Bible from everything I've read. So when I read Paul, I believe these are the words that mm-hmm. Jesus wants us to have. Yep. With that authority, yes, he affirms that's true. And if you get a chance, go see the ark down in Kentucky. It's a Ken Ham. It is a phenomenal thing to see. And I cried the first time I saw hmm. it. It's a life-size ark. The thing is huge. Hmm. You know, I think I have a relative who's very liberal, goes to a hyper-liberal Protestant church, and she says to me, well, don't you think the great majority of the Bible is a myth? And I said, no. And and I tried to explain to her, you know, you read the Bible in a sense like you read the newspaper. When you read the newspaper, you know when they're being literal, and you know when they're, somebody's using a, a metaphor. And I, when you read the New Testament and the Old Testament, you sure don't get a sense that they are saying that Adam and Eve and Noah and the ark and the uh, Jonah and the fish, you sure don't get the sense that they are saying those are just stories. Because then Jesus says, as this, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, uh, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days. You know, it's kind of like saying, well, just like this fairy tale, well, this is going to be, you know, I, you don't do that. No, right. You know, it's it's pretty easy in that sense to know when the Bible's being literal, which is absolutely the greatest majority, but there's metaphor in Scripture mm-hmm. too. Like when Isaiah says, "The trees of the uh, the trees of the lee, the leaves of the tree will clap their hands." You know that song. Well, you know, th- we don't take that literally, and, and I don't think anybody did. You know, you just read it and. There you go. Yeah, the earliest Jewish teachers, they, they were pretty well known for as they looked at the biblical text, they saw maybe four different things happening, right? They saw the literal story going on that mattered and was important. Then they saw what the theological metaphors of what it was trying to teach us about God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. And then they saw the patterns within the text. That was the third thing. And then they always had this category of like mystery, things they didn't quite yet understand about the the beautiful word of God in that. So I just, I, yeah. I take a lot of um, my cues from what how they thought about the text 2,000 years ago yes. and how they were understanding it. I yep. think it's, it's kind of crazy and, to me that we've criticized the text so much as we have the last 20 years and that people are in this place and say, oh, the resurrection was just a myth. And and this is going to sound a little liberal wishy-washy. I believe in the literal Jonah, literal uh, Ark, etc. I think there are Christians who can't bring themselves to believe that, and I think they're saved. What saves us is not believing well, in Noah sure. and the Ark. You're saved by believing in Christ's death and resurrection. And if some of these people, will, oh, but, you know, Jonah was a, was a uh, tale that was, okay, you're wrong. But what saves you, I mean, sometimes people get, you have to believe in the Bible literally in everything or you're not going to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. Right. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, says Paul. He doesn't say believe in every single story literally or you're not going to make it. That's the legalism you don't want to go toward. Yeah. That's like Jim said yesterday, you have to love people who hold bad ideas. That's right. So, yeah, mm-hmm. got some nice uh, contributions that have come in regarding some of the things we've already talked about. Um, let's see here. Where did it go now? Um, I'll sing. <laughs> Find the question, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, here it is. The road is grace and the ditches 
on either side are legalism and licentiousness. Amen. And Amen. the Spirit is the one that keeps us on the road of grace. I, mm. I'm going to hire that guy to be the pastor of a church. That That's a good one. Unless it's a woman. No, it's, no, it's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it is, but we'll okay, find never out. Never mind. Um, Next topic. When, when, when you it, get to heaven, you get to talk with Deborah and the others. It'll yes. be a lot of fun, Tom. It will be. Yeah. I'll say, hi, Deborah. Thanks for never preaching over at the nomin- congregation. Yeah. Yeah, you you and I have thought about that topic in the past, <laughs> have we not, Brack? I, I think I'm going to hold my tongue on Next. this one right now. Uh, yeah. I'll, be, I'll be on the other side of heaven. Clearly, Deborah could be kind of rough. Yes. Okay. Another comment is: if the path is narrow, the boundaries are close. Could could the grace out, be outside of the boundaries? That's interesting. I hope, well, I'm, I hope I'm reading that right. Sometimes, it depends what they mm. mean. Is when we sin and blow it horribly and come back to Christ for forgiveness, is there still grace? Amen. There is. David David committed murder and adultery and mm. was forgiven. Well, and I think if grace is understood to be that we do not get something that we otherwise would deserve, mm-hmm. right? This being the judgment. So I think... It, one of the, the first starting points for the Christian faith to really walk in increasing wholeness and in transformation and to really become non-fraudulent in our faith is to start with grace. I think so often we start with law, understandably. So, I mean, law does convict us of our sin, but I, I know way more believers that are already deeply convicted by their sin and they feel like they need to go into hiding with it because it has to, they don't want to bring it into the light. And so grace is that thing. When, when Paul says, again, where our sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, it means that we're not going to receive what we otherwise would deserve. And when you believe in that good news, when you when you choose to trust that good news and say, all right, I'm coming into the light with this stuff, God, maybe with some trusted friends, whatever it is, now the redemptive power of the Spirit that broke the power of sin and death as Jesus was raised from the dead. This is the witness of the New Testament, that very same power, that resurrection power that broke sin and death begins to engage with us as we come into the light and we actually become transformed out of these sinful places. But it start, it has to start with grace. It has to start with that idea, I'm coming into the light. I'm not going to get what I otherwise deserve. God is just simply that good. But he doesn't also then put up with licentiousness either because he knows that that'll kill his beautiful mm-hmm. imagers. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. we deeply underestimate Jesus and what he wants for us and the way he keeps reaching out to us. I've been with enough people when they die, even unbelievers on their deathbed. There are moments where some of them come out of a coma or whatever, and they will literally say, you know, that they're seeing paradise. Mm-hmm. They're seeing something they've never seen before. Now, I'm not saying they went there, but it's like the Lord is giving them that last opportunity in saying, come take my hand. I want you in the kingdom of God. So I think that's important, and I I don't understand Jesus fully, but I know this. I know that he loves me, and I know he loves you, and there's nothing you've done that he can't deal with mm-hmm. if you'll bring it to him. Amen. Amen. Here's Amen. a question. Will Peter ever give his testimony on the radio, please? We've got three minutes. Go for it. If I raise a finger, that means stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can, can we can we table that one for another? Time? Oh, I would want to think through that a little bit, but yeah, I would be happy to for sure. Yeah, yeah I just I feel like I would, that that's that's such sacred space when people talk okay. about their faith yeah, yeah. You, no, that I, I think I'd want to think about that a little I bit. Agree. I'd be happy to. I mean, I would I would like all, all of the panel to do it at, mm-hmm. at some point. I always think it's good to hear the stories. Yeah. I do too. I love that. Me too. Yeah, yeah. So we'll skip that part and for another time. But do think about that, Peter. Right? I will do that. All right, here's another question. Um, I think Tom Brock, you had mentioned uh, the question is the two denominations, Church of Christ and United Church of Christ. Mm-hmm. Is there? Will you elaborate on the difference? Yeah, just the United Church of Christ is hyper-liberal. The Church of Christ is hyper-conservative. Okay. <laughs> and that never the twain shall meet. Yeah, That's basically it mm. in a nutshell. Mm. 
the Church of Christ is is uh, very conservative, very conservative, and United, United Church of Christ is very liberal. liberal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Let's see here. Um, yeah, that's time to sing. Yeah. What do you have? <laughs> <laughs> what do you have? No, I don't. I'm just kidding. Really? You got something? You always in. have a I'll song. I'll sing that. The stanza is. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. Songs of praises I will ever give to thee. Anybody know what that's, that name of that hymn? Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Jehovah. Oh, there you gosh. Go. Yeah. That him. You could wake, I, up, you I, could wake and up and go to bed you with know that what's one. Sure. That is beautiful. I, I'm balling over here. I, I think it, you know, I think it's the Lord. I grew up with that hymn and haven't sung it for many, many years. In the last year, I just keep singing that. Mm. All the verses are great. It's what is just, the name of it again? What did you say? It was? Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Gosh, I think you could do that and be thou my vision when you go to you know, get up and, and go to sleep. That would be a good way to oh, start yeah. and end the day right there. Yes, indeed. Yeah. All right. A little reminder uh, coming up in two weeks from today. Guy Talk Live right here at the University of Northwestern, right, right at the Mel Johnson Media Center on the main floor. There'll be a very spacious room with plenty of separation so we can be uh, have that social distancing, yet we can sit and watch uh, Guy Talk Live. You can bring your own questions. You can ask them live. Uh, you can send questions in advance, but it's going to be a ton of fun. And all you have to do to be part of that uh, audience that day live is to text the word EVENT to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word EVENT to 877-933-2484. That's the time we have for Guy Talk today. Gentlemen, thank you. That went thank quick, you. didn't Good it? Good to be here. Did it go fast? Man, a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah great was. answers, great questions, and we'll do more of that uh, next week. And then Guy Talk live on the 18th. I do want you to make plans to come be with us. It is going to be a whole lot of fun. After a short break, I've got Dr. Bob Moeller uh, coming up for the full hour. Coming up next, don't go anywhere. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.